everyone. This is William Del Pilar, the conservative Latino with Big John to somebody who likes to eat. <laughs> I don't know if John likes to eat, but he did take me to a great sandwich. Uh, I don't know if it was deli or natural uh, 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 fast food franchise. What was it, Big John? That was, if I'm recalling, uh, it's the last time you came to New York, we went to Junior's famous cheesecake in Times Square, which it was uh, huge. It was huge and uh, well known, obviously, for their cheesecakes, but their sandwiches and their burgers are quite delicious. So, yeah, I think that's where we went. Shout out to Juniors of Brooklyn. And this is why uh, John and I, I don't know if this is why we get along, but John and I became friends. And ironically, John wasn't part of the clique. I was part of the clique, but not part of the clique, meaning I kept my distance because I was there for business. But right. people don't understand. I don't gravitate to people because of their positions in life and what they I can get from them. I gravitate to people who who I get along with, even if we, even if we argue like cats and dogs, because <laughs> there's a certain karmic energy that right. aligns us. You know, I think back in the day, John, that's why they had revolutions every fifty years. All that karmic energy, hating the elites. <laughs> well, not only that, but they probably knew they were going to die soon, so they figured out ah, we might as well shake things up. Well, hell, when your lifespan was 35, you know, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. But, John, we've got a great show tonight. Do we? Yes, sir. we got All a couple right. of NFL takes. Okay. There have been a couple of key signings. I don't view one of them as a key signing as much as the situation makes it a key signing because I view it as what's the big deal. Right. And right. the other one is a key signing uh, because it's a team-friendly contract. It's a mm. Tom Brady-esque contract. Okay. And it, and it's, it could potentially – create better things for this team and we'll get to both of those and the usfl is back the Austin. were you aware they were back john a uh, barely barely were you aware <laughs> president trump was a former owner of the usfl sure, sure. What the, team? Jersey, the jersey generals so that's yeah, right that's that. right yeah. that's right so we're going to talk about the usfl i kind of disagree with what i see out there in regards to uh some of the positives, I don't see any positives, but that said, as a working class guy, as a five foot seven Latino who was never able to play football, as somebody who has always overachieved when I have created success for myself, I love the fact that some of these players and coaches are going to be able to be seen. It's kind of like a sizzle wheel they're creating. Uh, and it always happens. Some of these guys will make the leap back into the NFL. Sure. And there's some big name players, but let me take that back. They're not big name players, but players that have played in the NFL, both on the coaching level, some big name coaches now, right. and some players, including a, a first round draft pick. And from there, we are going to talk once again about Gilbert Gottfried. And Jackie, this is for you, because okay. the message you sent me aggravated me a little bit, not in a bad way. I get along with her and I love her to death, but people seem to misconstrue Gilbert Gottfried, and she said, well, he supports pedophilia. And my mm. first take was, no, he doesn't. Do you not know what the aristocrats? <laughs> and I said it that way, and I was thinking it that way, but the reality is I had not learned about it until the week prior. Right, that, right, right. And, and I read up on him. So Big John is going to explain to us a little bit about Gilbert Gottfried, the aristocrats, and and it's, 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 it's I don't know about history, but how it fits in that world and what it is. Sure. And is, is there still room for it in today's cancel culture? So any words, John, before we get going here? 
Just let's go. Let's do it. I'm ready All to go, right. baby. Let me grab my notes, people, and we will get to it. Okay. First topic at hand is Sammy Watkins. And Sammy. The fact, that's right, Sammy. John, what can you tell us about Sammy? How did he get a start? And, and, and what's become of it? Well, Sammy Watkins coming out of college was drafted by the Bills. Um, he was a speedster. He was what you would think uh, when he came out. People viewed him as like a Justin Jefferson type is today. Um, like somebody who came out, he was heralded. Um, I'm not going to say he's had a horrible career, but he's certainly been a bust um, for where he was drafted and the expectations around him. Where um, was he drafted? Uh, he was drafted by Buffalo. Um, where was he? I've, I've, he was in the first round. I don't remember exactly what slot right now. Number four overall. Number four overall. And if, if I'm not mistaken, they may have traded up to get him too. So the, he there was a lot of expectations around him. Now, in some cases, he didn't always play with the best quarterbacks, but still underperformed only 348 catches for his career just 34 touchdowns uh but he's still relatively young he'll turn 29 just before the start of this nfl season um well did much of his production come early in the career uh, i think a lot of it did come earlier um he's been on some decent teams like uh most recently with the um with the chiefs and yeah, and with the Ravens last year. Um, here's the thing. Part of it is that he's very injury prone. Uh, the other thing is that I think he just he just hasn't lived up. I, I don't know what for what reason. I don't know if it's mental or physical, but the injuries have played a part. I view him as a speedster, but I view him that in the right circumstance, he can be a very productive player within the system, certainly as a complementary receiver. So when you have a Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins becomes a very good wide receiver too for you if you're on Kansas City. If you've got a Hollywood Brown in Baltimore last year, you should have had a good year out of Watkins at number two. But but again, he he only caught 27 for almost 400 yards. Right, and, right. And, and would, just one touchdown. So he's been one of these underperformers. That's how I would describe his career, underperforming, underwhelming. Right. I think you could look at him as – the Tony Mandarich of wide receivers. Tony Mandarich was the, the I don't I don't know if Tony, I think. Tony Mandarich was the number one overall pick for the Green Bay yes. Packers, a bust steroid guy. However, the incredible bulk. Forget, right. People forget he actually went on to have what you would call a very serviceable career. With the Colts. After Hoopla died and all that, he he had, he had a good he had he had some good years with the Colts, and that's what Sammy Watkins at number four expected to make an impact. Injuries have taken his toe. His past three seasons, he's averaged what twelve games. His career, Maybe fourteen exactly. games, and I'm being generous. Yeah, uh, you know. And he's been paid, so maybe that took a little bit of his desire to for that self continual improvement. I mean, in March of 2018, he signed a three year, forty eight million dollar contract yeah. with the Chiefs. Here's Crazy. his numbers. Crazy. Forty uh, receptions. Uh, uh, well, 2019. 52 receptions, 673 yards, three touchdowns. 2020, 37 receptions for 421 receiving yards and two touchdowns. Now, he came clutch in the playoffs and helped them win a Super Bowl. But how he got that contract is beyond me. Maybe yeah. that, that, that affected his play. I don't know. But the point is, is 
he is still young enough to be serviceable because right now he's not even Tony Mandridge. Mandridge came back to become serviceable. We've got to see if he can become serviceable. But the reason we're talking about him is because of all the soap opera that's been surrounding the Green Bay Packers over the past year. And they, they had no receiver. Even that guy, who's that guy, Marquez, something that they thought could Marquez come up. Valdez Scanlon, yeah. he ended up, I mean, he ended up he, going he, to Chicago. Yeah, yeah, he even left town. So not only... Uh, Which, by the, way, by the way, if you remember, I predicted early on, I said, people are assuming he's going back to Green Bay. He's not. That's right. I told That's everyone, right. I said, he's, he's not going to stay there without Devontae Adams. He's not a number one. He's going to right. So, so in essence, all they did to me was get depth here. And the reason we're talking about Sammy is because there's a void of wide receiver and Sammy was an overall number four pick. Now, as I've got an older, I tend to be optimistic and look at the best in players, especially when they don't make waves and they're not bad guys. I hope he can turn it around. But after eight seasons, I think he is what he is. He got a one-year prove-it deal. And what was it? $4 million. Last year, I think it was $8 million. So it keeps going down after that $48 million. But, John, I'd love to be a popper only getting $4 million for this year, wouldn't you? Yeah, uh, I, I know what you're saying. But, but here's what's interesting to me. I don't think he's going to be successful in Green Bay, even with Aaron Rodgers. Um, because unless Green Bay either swings a deal and gets someone like a DK Metcalf closer to the draft, um, I just don't, I don't see him carrying the, the number one receiver position. On oh, no, 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 no. I, I don't think he was brought in to be number one. I think he was brought in that they need somebody, uh, they need a veteran on the field. I mean, Randall Cobb, I think he was cut, but has he come back? I'm not sure. Even if he hasn't, he should he should be. He's done. Yeah, but my point is, is they're probably looking at him in that type of veteran role, maybe a little bit of leadership, help yeah. whoever they bring in. He has a ring, former number one pick, and talk right. about. But that's what I said, right? Unless they bring in the true number one, because even if they end up drafting a receiver at the bottom of the first, or if they package their two picks to move up to get to draft a receiver, um, that situation is a mess. It's toxic. It's rare that a rookie receiver comes in as a, a wide receiver one and leads the team. You know, it's it's just it's a rare. I wouldn't count on that if I were a Packers fan. Oh, now, I, agree. This, I I say one thing, William. One thing that shocked me this offseason. Talk about two number one picks that have had different career trajectories. Compare Sammy Watkins to someone like Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks, we all know, seems to get traded every other year. Right? Yeah, he's productive. But every other year he gets traded for a first round pick. Right. He must be, you know, I've wondered that too. And and I've got a lot of contacts from back in my, mm -hmm. my, my previous life. And that's one of the questions I, I do want to reach out and find out what's the story. I don't know, is it his attitude? He doesn't get along with people. But that's the thing. All or, I've heard or, or, is that he's a great teammate, he's yeah. productive. But you know what it is? It's maybe he's not clutch. Maybe you know I mean, what? I mean, I mean, let's be honest. There's people who can like Derek Laville. Remember yeah. Derek Laville after he replaced uh, uh, the guy went to Philadelphia, Ricky Waters. Yeah. Derek Laville replaced Ricky Waters in San Francisco. Derek Laville, you looked at his numbers. He was extremely productive. But I always remember talking to uh, the, the the beat reporters, whether it was a team playing him, uh, playing against him, or even the 49er beat reporters. They said Derek Laville is not the player opposing defenses prep for so they don't care his numbers may look nice 
but he's not a threat on the field. But Brandon Cooks was a deep threat, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's always a deep threat. He still has that speed. And here's the thing. It's not like he's getting cut and resigning the way Watkins is. Yeah. Cooks is getting traded, traded up until yeah. now, and he gets traded for first-round picks. Well, so, he did get resigned by the Texans. Yes, right. So here's my point. If I was either the the Packers or somebody like the Bears even necessarily, someone who thinks they're making a move with a young quarterback or a veteran quarterback, I would have traded for, I would have explored trading for Cooks rather than signing a Watkins. You know what I mean? No, I, I agree. I agree. I would have, because I don't think it would have taken a first to get Cooks off of Houston because they're in rebuild mode. So you throw them a second or a third, I'm sure they would have taken that for Cooks, probably. I'm, I, you know, but I would have explored a trade for Cooks. Maybe they did and it just didn't happen. But to me, I'd, ra- I'd much rather have a Brandon Cooks. Um, and again, people love him. Uh, he's very productive. Even last year with the Texans, he was super productive last year with, with a carousel of like uh, scrub quarterbacks. You actually, know, so- I don't think it wasn't a carousel, it was David Mills. And he actually well, he also had Tyrod. He also had Tyrod Taylor for yeah. A that that games, was injury that right? took him out, and then yeah, he yeah. to play. I think. Okay, so 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 three points before we move on. This will be Sammy had, was drafted by Buffalo, <laughs> went to the Rams in 2017, had a good season there. Then went to Kansas City, then went to Baltimore. So this will be his fifth team yeah. in eight years. Now the reason I bring that up is because the positives now. The Packers head coach Matt LaFleur was Rams offensive coordinator during the 2017 season. And Jason Rabel, 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 I always screw up. Rabel, I think. Rabel. Yeah, Rabel. He's now the Packers receivers coach, passing game coordinator, and he was on the Bills staff when Watkins was there, and he was in various roles. So he's got a couple of tie-ins that understand his strengths, his weaknesses. So he'll go in there, and the team will have an understanding of what they're getting. And hope. my, my point is, hopefully a foundation they can build on, you know? So let's hope for the best. Uh, I always like to see players do well, uh, only because 15 years ago, I wrote an article how 50% of these guys lose their money afterwards. Right, right. (laughs) Okay, here's some big news. It's not big news anymore. It was never big news. It was just part of the news, but it's big news after we're done talking about it. Derek Carr signs his extension with the Raiders. Yeah. Three-year extension worth 121.5 million. 40.5 40.5 million average yearly salary makes him the fifth highest paid NFL quarterback on an annual basis. What are your thoughts about that signing big John? So I have mixed feelings about it. So first of all, let me, I'll say this. I'm a Derek Carr fan. Are I you, think, are I you? think Derek, I think Derek Carr is a good NFL quarterback. I don't think he's a great NFL quarterback. Okay, okay. Th- Just to validate what you're saying, yeah. in, 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 as you know me, I'm a research hound. Yep. Uh, most articles, most 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 people that came across saying he's not a top five quarter, uh, quarterback, no. they can see that. But they did say he he's a top 10 quarterback. Would you that, agree with that? Yeah, that's my feeling, right? Like, I think he's the type of quarterback that could take you to a Super Bowl on a strong team. I don't think he's someone you who can put the team on his back. Now, I also say that because I think he's been unfairly crapped upon the last couple of years. I think people judge him way too harshly, and mainly because he's in the division with Patrick Mahomes, right, or with Justin Herbert. So I think, you know, uh, I think he's a very good quarterback. I think he's a very solid quarterback. I think he can win. I think the Raiders can win with him. 
now that they gave him Devontae Adams, he has uh, Darren Waller at tight end. He has uh, Edwards as another wide receiver. He's got Renfro in the slot. He's got um, Josh Jacobs uh, in the backfield. I'm telling you, if that offensive line is just average, I'm not even talking good, just average, there's no excuse for him to fail this season. And I'm not even saying that he failed before, but but he should be pretty good this season. Now, is he worth $40 million? Is he worth being the fifth highest paid NFL quarterback? No. Um, is he just lucky? To, I think he's just in the right place at the right time. Uh, and you know me, uh, William, there's no such thing as the wrong price. The price is what your value demands in the market. Supply and demand. It's supply and demand. And right now, he said, this is what I want, and someone paid it. So guess what? That's what he's worth. He's worth $40.5 million a year. Right. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. He's valued at $40.5 million, but he may not. He may or may not be worth it. Well, uh, uh, right. Well, I, I was going to say, <laughs> I, I think you meant it's his worth, it's his value because that's what he got paid. Yeah. Are they going to get that much return out of it? That's a different story. I don't think they will. Uh, because between look, they're tying up so much money between him and Adams, and probably Waller too. Okay, hold on, hold on. So that's where I I, I want to disagree with you, but I'm not sure if I'm 100 correct because I'm not a capologist. But again, I'm a book smart fool to be a dumb little Latino. According to to what I I, I discovered is that he's got a very flexible and team friendly Tom Brady esque type contract right so so the salary cap won't be as effective as say aaron Rodgers is going to destroy the packers or patrick mahomes is already dismantling the chiefs right. and it has nothing to do with dislike or like of those players it's the reality of those right. contracts it's just numbers. egos we all have egos yep. sometimes my ego so big i can't fit through the door my head's so big but that said i also don't know if I agree with you in terms of his worth. I don't disagree, but I don't agree. And here's why. He was selected in the second round in the 2014 NFL draft. Who were his two first, who were his two head coaches? His first two head coaches. Oh, uh, Jack Del Rio and Dennis Allen. And what are they, John? Oh, they were defensive coaches. That's right. So when John Gruden and People, I cannot wait for that court case to come out where John Gruden got fired. Because what he said was, uh, uh, I don't want to say disgusting or revolting, but was wrong, you know. But I wonder what those other thousands of emails, I want to know what Maurice Carr, what he said in return. Because his lips have gotten him in trouble. Ooh, I shouldn't have said it that way. My apologies. His mouth has gotten him in trouble with how he speaks too. But anyway, I'm digressing. Uh, I just think it's going to be a battle royale when, 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 the, when the facts and those emails start becoming public uh, through court documents. Okay, so when John Gruden came into play and became the coach, he completed nearly 69% of his passes and then he clips 4,000 yards for the first time in 2018. In 2019, a 70% completion rate, 21 touchdowns, eight interceptions. Right. 2020, over 4,000 yards, 27 TDs, only nine interceptions. Gruden gets unceremoniously canned, drops down to 68% completion rate, which isn't bad, 
but only 23 touchdowns and 14 interceptions. So the impact an offensive-minded head coach had with him was, I don't want to say night and day, but maybe 12 hours difference night and day. Well, that is well, 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 also the stability. I mean, in essence, even last season, even though they Gruden got fired, it was still Gruden's essential scheme for three seasons. It, it doesn't matter, though, John. It's, it's, that's, that's the difference between uh, Clinton and Gore. Clinton got elected and actually was able to work at Congress. Gore couldn't even get elected. And my point being is you can have two similar men, but one can succeed where the other. No, no, I, I understand that. I was trying to say that in support, meaning that oh, my when, when, when Carr got an offensive minded coach and he got some stability in his coaching staff, he performed. He right, did well. Right, right, um, right. He's getting Josh McDaniels now who has worked with other quarterbacks, notably all the New England quarterbacks. And who uh, are they, John? Because this is important to, for, for, for the public to understand well, why I, I'm going down this road. There's I mean. obviously uh, Brady. Uh, his back, Tom Brady. Tom Brady. I'm kidding. <laughs> I know you are. Matt Castle, who was... And, and Matt, a, what's important about Matt Castle? He left and went to the Chiefs. But, but his play regressed after he left Josh McDaniels. Exactly. He went coach. to the Chiefs for one season. They like oh, A couple they, of seasons. He was there for two or three seasons. No, but I'm right. saying he, he basically left for, after one good season right. Right. when he backed up the year Brady got hurt. A, a um, torn ACL, I think. that was Right. Year. Then you had Garoppolo, obviously, who was the backup to Brady that always looked good for the one time he got into a game. Uh, Brissett is another one. And Brissett um, was actually, remember how good he looked? He came in, oh, he was like the man. third quarterback. Yeah. I think, the, I can't remember if it was Garoppolo, Hoy, or whoever. Somebody got, the backup got hurt, and he came in and looked good. And then and then I always thought he had talent, but he was an immense flop. He was like not cold. But the point is, under Josh McDaniels, and he Mac did jo- extremely and well. Jo- and obviously Mac Jones as a rookie last season. So, so all these quarterbacks went on to start somewhere else. Yeah, and let's face it, uh, Tebow made the playoffs with no i looked that up brother i i thought the same thing i looked that up yeah it was the following year i think yeah oh because i was like why aren't they talking about tebow i mean if anything that was that you know because i know mcdaniels McDaniels drafted him him, right okay but uh regardless he he has sort of a reputation as being a quarterback whisperer someone who seems to get the most out of his quarterbacks and he's certainly considered a very um innovative offensive mind by by right. i think in most circles so now, we have on the field today then so i'm sorry to say Daniels that. the plays yeah he's got all those players around him uh uh Devontae adams darren waller like you said brandon jacobs i think the line has to be better than Adam. not brandon jacobs think, uh josh jacobs josh jacobs yeah. josh jacobs because i don't think uh i don't think josh jacobs is the type of back i think he needs a strong line people don't realize one reason emma smith is synonymous with success and seems one of the greatest running backs. I don't think he was. I think you put him in Chicago's line of the seventies where Walter Payton was still Walter mm-hmm. Payton or, or in Buffalo where the juice was a juice. Those were behind horrible lines. Emmett has some of the greatest lines. I think uh, 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 Jacobs needs a, a strong line to take it to the next level. So if they get that strong line with all these other pieces some people believe he may have a career year. Now you said you didn't view him as a top 10. I mean, as a top five uh, quarterback, but with, with McDaniels calling, and I'm not talking wins or losses, 
I'm talking stats here, data, you know, uh, with McDaniels calling the plays, with, with, with Jacobs, with, with, with Devontae Adams, with Wather. Do you think he could make the leap to become a top five quarterback? No, because it's a numbers game, right? So, like, okay, let's see if we can name five quarterbacks we think will be above him, right? Mahomes, Herbert. Um, Brady. Brady. The um, Rams guy. What was that? Oh, uh, Matt Stafford. Um, you could have uh, Lamar Jackson in there, right? You can, right, but but I'm I, saying you can. I, I don't view any of those guys. Russell, Russell, Russell Wilson, right? Like <laughs> you can have guys that you can name that are you can name five guys above them. But my point being, going into the season, going into the season, does he have the possibility? Of course, anyone does, you know. But um, I think that he should have a very solid season. Okay, let's split the difference. He's a top seven quarterback probably. Hold on. One, one more caveat sure. to throw at you try to convince you. Okay. He's playing in the AFC West. Russell yeah. Wilson, Patrick Mahomes. Justin uh, Herbert. Uh, Justin Herbert. <laughs> I mean, those are going to be shootouts. And my point being is, so for eight games, he will be airing it out. So, so I, I'm not saying he will. But I am saying the sky's the limit for him to have a career year. Can he pull it off? I don't know, because for some reason, there is a stigma on the Raiders. They, and it is not just win, baby. It's just find a way to choke, baby. That's been their stigma the last 20 years. Yeah, you know? I, look, I, am I, I am optimistic about Carr's improvement, chances to improve this year. And yeah, I look... I don't think it's a crazy statement to say he'll, he'll have a career year. I, I don't dismiss it out of hand. Will he end up being a top five quarterback? Probably not. Okay. So let's get your final prediction. Do you think with this team that the Raiders can compete for the and for the AFC West and out of the top 10, where do you see him closer to five or, or closer to 10? And uh, then the, we'll Raiders, the Raiders or, or Carr? Uh, do you think the Raiders can compete to, to capture the AFC West? And part two of the question, where do you see Carr? Closer to the top five this year or more on the back end of the top ten? Um, uh, okay, if I had to pick a ring, I'd say, I'll answer the second part. I think Carr will end up somewhere around seven. God, what um, a, how about political answer? Did you run for office, brother? I should have. <laughs> I should have. Um, so he'll be somewhere around seven. I don't think he'll be in the top five. Um, can the Raiders compete? They'll compete. I, that West is so tough though. I, I don't see them coming out of the West. It's a, well, you know what? They might I get a wild card. They might get I, a wild card. I live in San, well, they got it last year. I live in San Diego and outside of one, outside of, uh, the Bobby, uh, Ross, uh, two or three great magical season. They, they just, it's like in their DNA. Let me give this game away in the last couple of minutes. It, you know, so so well the I, thing I that makes they can it, overcome the Chargers. The thing that's <laughs> difficult is um they still have to contend with the Chiefs. And a lot of this, I think, is also going to be predicated on the draft, too, right? Um, the Raiders are essentially set unless they trade assets to get capital, they're set, right? Their first pick doesn't come till round three or four, right? So I think they're pretty much set. What you see is what you're gonna get. Look, the Chiefs have two first-round picks. Let's see what they do with those. Like, they could restock their defense 
fairly easily, right? Maybe, but they need a receiver. So the odds of them going receiver is key. And what you just said plays a very important part in terms of the Packers and Watkins. You're not going to get a rookie receiver or the odds, because you can. There have been first year receivers that have come and performed, but the odds are stacked against uh, the Chiefs and the Packers being able to do that. And let me remind America. They're at the bottom of the first round. They're both at the bottom of the first round. That's the problem. But but let me remind the world here. The Chiefs, you know, they they skyrocketed up. Super Bowl win, following year. Super Bowl loss, following year. They didn't even make it to the the Super Bowl. Right. You know, so as Marcellus Wiley, who I really love, eh? I mean, the guy just calls it like it is. They're trending down. So don't assume the Chiefs are the hit team they are because the Chargers, as much as I just bagged on them, are trending up. Uh, They still have the core there. The Raiders are trending up. The Chiefs, they're trending down. I mean, they lost Tyreek Hill. Yeah. That doesn't mean they're not going to compete. And, and, and right. I'm just saying it's not a given. Oh, my God. Why am I drawing a blank here? Who's the fourth team? The Broncos. The, no, the Broncos. Broncos. Broncos yeah, are, got, I don't know where the Broncos are right now in terms of compared to the other teams. I think they look about. strong because out of the four teams, they have the best defense right Yeah, now. I was about to say defensively. But that's going to be listen, an not that they've, out. Not that, they've got, not that they've got Wilson. That receiving core looks pretty good. Right, because they had the three good receivers. They had Patrick, um, um, uh, Jerry Judy, and um, well, they the had the potential. Like and Sutton and Cortland Sutton, yeah. right? They had Sutton, yeah. Judy, and Patrick. Fant losing Fant hurts a little bit, but they can replace him. And there's no offense to tight end. The tight end they can replace him, and the they trade. and they still have uh, the running back um, uh, Williams, right? So. They, their offense is still pretty good. They have a nice offensive line and they have the best defense. So between all that, I think they're in. So that AFC West is loaded, man. The worst team is still a very good team. Whoever ends up being the worst team there. The worst team can compete for a playoff spot going into the final couple of weeks. And the worst I team in that it. division would be battling for a top spot in every other division. Right, in right. It's one of those things where the wild card team could be in an 11 and 5 team or, or, or yeah, 12 and yeah, 4. Team. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, people, let's move on. And let's move on to John's favorite president and his former league and team. The USFL. Uh-oh. First of all, a hat tip to CBS Sports. They had a, a it's not a long article, it's a, a, but they have a great article on the USFL 2022, the schedule players. Uh, in fact, if you go to their website, it's called USFL 2022, colon, schedule players, coaches, everything to know about the new football league. And a hat tip to Athlon Sports, who I actually go way back with Athlon Sports. I had a great relationship with them. However, they, ne- they were some greedy-ass people over there. They would talk a great game, and we could never pull the trigger on the actual deal because they were just bad business people, you know? Oh, my goodness. Uh, All the dirt is coming out now. You know? But but they had good people over there. It was just the management I never met. It's kind of like, well, management says this. I'm like, I don't care. We're not doing that. But anyway, hats tip the Athlon Sports. They had a great article there, USFL what you didn't you need to know about the new professional football league john tell us a little bit about their history if you can so sure the usfl uh originated as a spring summer league uh and it was supposed to compete with the nfl um and it's really funny uh, one of the owners obviously famously was donald trump 
Um, and the, the greatest the, president in the United States, according to John. According to most people. But anyway, um, anyway, so yeah, so Trump was an owner. And, the, and people forget the USFL kind of started its life being the equivalent of the old AFL when it challenged the NFL in 1960, right? Because they were raiding talent in each draft, right? It was oh, back to those draft yeah. wars. I mean, right? think about it. Steve Young. Steve uh, Young. Jim Herschel, Kelly. Jim Herschel Walker. Walker. Herschel Walker. Reggie White. People forget yeah. about Reggie White. Uh, there were Memphis. Mike Rozier. There were a lot of guys that would have went in the first round uh, the reason Irving Fryer went so high that year, I think he went number one overall, was because everyone who would have been a number one pick got poached by the USFL, right? right? Uh, the USFL also famously took underclassmen when the NFL did not. So uh, Marcus Dupree, who was a 19-year-old oh, sophomore, yeah, right. got drafted and it destroyed his career because he was yeah. way too young uh, for professional right. football. But anyway, so the USFL started as a rebel league. It, 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 it started with the promise of we're going to take on the NFL. We're going to do what the AFL did. Right. There's a lot of, I don't know, was their whole plan to be just rebellious enough to be absorbed by the NFL so the eight teams could be absorbed? Into the, maybe, I don't know. Um, but I'll never forget this. I was actually at a Mets game. Uh, I think it was in 86, yeah, in 86, when the, when the news of the trial broke, uh, because they had sued the NFL for, uh, on the basis of antitrust, you know, for, because they thought the NFL monopolized the TV uh, contracts. So I, in, I was in the old Shea Stadium and the, scre the uh, scoreboard flashed the news. Uh, the verdict in the USFL-NFL case has been handed down. The USFL wins on all counts. And you could hear the crowd go, yeah, like people seemed happy. And then oh, the yeah. thing says damages are $1. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then, and, of course, treble. The damages, it was what, about $4, $3? It was like $3, three, three and, $3 and change. People think I'm misstating. No, that's not like $3 million or $3 billion. It was $3.76. And and I think as a joke, I was watching an old NFL film saying somebody in the NFL, maybe Roselle, had the check, a copy of the check they yeah. sent, which was $3.76. Obviously, after that, the league folded, the USFL folded. They were counting on that lawsuit to win the lawsuit and get uh, uh, punitive damages, you know, like pay us for pain and suffering. They didn't get So they won on principle and they lost in practice. Right, right. And that's um, how life works sometimes, you know. I, I thought I thought they got a little bit of a raw deal, but, you know, because let's be honest, these leagues are monopolies in a way. Uh, not in a way, they are monopolies. NFL, yeah. uh, you know, it's just so, so to see David versus Goliath and David wins but still goes home a loser, it's kind of sad to see for the it, little it, guy. It is to some extent. And listen, in the, historically, rival leagues, the only one that had any traction was the AFL. But why is that? They were on the verge of collapse, except for what moment in Well, there were time. two things in the AFL that was huge for them. One is from the get-go, they played a different type of football for back then. I'm talking for the 60s, right? So the AFL was like more uh, the run and shoot. It was throwing yeah. the ball around. More up-tempo. More it, modern. It was up-tempo. It was, it was more fun. You had um, you had trick plays, like triple flea flickers, like which the, in, the, in the NFL... 
1960. You never saw that. What you saw like uh, wishbone offenses in the NFL. Oh yeah, know? the option was popular into the early. Yeah, 60s. they ran. Yeah. They ran. Uh, yeah, they ran. You know, crazy. They threw boring. when they had to. Yeah, they only threw when they had to. Exactly. Whereas the AFL was, we're throwing bombs. And if you think of the Mad Bomber, Daryl LaMonica, if you think of oh. uh, uh, Bambi, uh, that was his nickname. I can't remember. His, um, or the great one, Willie uh, The one for the Chargers. His, name, his nickname was Bambi. Jack Camp. No, no, Jack Camp was the quarterback for the Bills. Okay. Um, the Jets uh, stealing uh, Joe Namath, who was the top quarterback prospect. That was huge, you know, when they poached him away from the NFL. And if you watch some of these documentaries, it was like CIA level nonsense going on. Like uh, one league would hide a college kid, literally take him to a hotel, lock him in and say, you can't talk to the other league's agents and we'll pay you this much to shut up and stay in the hotel room. We'll feed you. We'll pay you. Kind of sounds like the government and the homeless or the illegals now, huh? Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, the AFL had their secret weapon. See, a lot of people credit Lamar Hunt, but the real secret Kansas weapon City, for the AFL was yeah. Al Davis. Because yeah. Al Davis wanted to go to war with the NFL. And when, when the NFL finally agreed to merge with the AFL, Al Davis was the one owner in the AFL who said, why are we merging with them they should be merging with us better yet why don't we just keep attacking till we destroy because he hated the nfl he was like why don't we destroy the nfl why are we merging with them but the other owners felt okay let's merge there's more money with the nfl and then of course big john it wasn't just that you know al davis love him or hate him he did live the big lie to an extent he was a general managing partner everyone assumed he was a full owner of that team but there were other partners there. And the truth of the matter is the AFL was struggling. The only reason they actually started those talks was because because the, the AFL got their asses kicked year one, year two in the Super Bowl. And it was it was Broadway Joe, the first time ever in the history of American sports. I guarantee the win. And, right. and they were heavy underdogs against, uh, well, technically, I want to say Johnny Unitas' Colts, but I think it was Earl Morales. It was, Morale, it was actually... Earl Morales' Colts. Uh, yeah. By that point, um, by that point, uh, Johnny U had uh, had become a backup, but he yeah, came yeah, in when yeah. Morrill got uh, he when Morrill was I having can't remember, a injury or something, wasn't it, or something like that? Uh, well, no, Earl Morrill uh, just was ineffective during the Super Bowl, so they brought in Johnny Unitas. Gotcha, and, gotcha. But they were but, the heavy favorites. Well, the, the Jets, the, the yeah, the Jets were sixteen point underdogs to yeah. the Colts. Oh, what city? What city were the Colts in at the time? Baltimore. That's right, baby. The Baltimore Colts. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, anyway, so you're right. That was a big moment for the AFL and brought parity. Uh, you say parity, and I agree that's the right word. But in today's politically correct world, it brought equality. Yeah, we no, are your. I'll skip that. It brought parity. But the thing let's, was, let's get I'll, back to the USFL. Though. Yeah. So the USFL, my point was that the AFL was the last successful competitor to the NFL. People forget the WFL formed in the uh, mid 70s. Oh my God, with Larry Zonka. Larry Zonka, Jim Kick, uh, Paul Warfield all left the world champion oh, Dolphins to go yeah. to the World Football League. Uh, that failed. That closed within a year. Yeah. I think the, the first year it folded. And all those guys were big enough stars where they went back to the NFL, yeah. no questions asked. Um, but was that before so, or after their uh, undefeated season? I can't remember. It was after. After, yeah. Yeah. So was the undefeated season was 73. I think the World Football League was 74 or 75. 
But here's the thing. Then you had the XFL, Vince McMahon's XFL. That disappeared too, right? But I will say one thing. The XFL at least had innovation. They tried different things. They got rid of kickoffs. They had the scrum where two guys ran towards the ball and whoever recovered it first, the team got the ball first. It was like a weird thing. Um, But now when you have the USFL, you have the AFL, you have the XFL again. I think all these leagues are jockeying for position because when you look at something, it sounds crazy, but when you look at something like the NFL Network, they're on 24-7, 365. And I can tell you from personal experience, when I had my radio show on Sirius XM, I wanted to do football year round. That was my thing. Like I knew how popular football was. I said, I could talk about football every weekend year round. And they said, no, nobody cares about football until the draft. Nobody cares, you know? And I was like, no, 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 no. Anyway, long story short, I'm not there, but my ideas are there because now there's entire radio shows just dedicated to football 24 seven NFL network, right? Who would have thought that you could do a football network all year round, right? So now I think these leagues, right, are fighting for position to be the off-season league, right? Obviously, they all want to be the spring league or the summer league. Right, right. My prediction or what I think will be the first successful league is the first one that adopts sort of like the baseball minor league system where each NFL team has a minor league affiliate, for lack of a better term. So in other words, it'll have to be tied in with the NFL. Probably. Right. Probably okay, because otherwise okay. it's just the NFL is too far entrenched right now. Exactly, the NFL there's just something magical and special. But real quick to the audience, I am a footnote in the NFL Network's history. I and my partner were their first fantasy analysts. We were forced on Rich Eisen's show. The producers didn't want us. They didn't treat us like dirt, but they were not kind to us. And Probably one of my not so savvy business moves was standing my ground. And uh, again, me, John and I have talked about why we are in our positions in life. It's because we have a spine and we have a backbone and it's not all about money. And, and, and look where it got us. Yeah, I have a home. I have somebody who loves me. At least my dogs do. So anyway, <laughs> the, U, the, the USFL has been in a 37-year hiatus. They yeah. returned with an 18 league going to play a 10-week season it started this past week its inaugural postseason is going to take place in the tom benson hall of fame stadium in canton ohio which is remarkable because that's that that's enemy territory that's an nfl's heart and soul right the top two teams of each division will play in the semifinals and there'll be a championship game in july so we are in april the season has just started it's going to end in july so what's that john uh, about two and a half months of play there. About three, yeah, yeah. It has, and now it has backing. It has more backing than probably Trump gave and the other owners gave their league. Uh, well, I'm lying. They paid a lot of money to players, you know, in, in, in right. the original incarnation. But Fox is backing it with about 150 million for the first three years. Let's talk about the teams here. I'm not going to go through every team. I'm just going to mention a couple of them. The Michigan Panthers headed by coach Jeff Fisher and the New Jersey Generals by coach Mike Riley. What can you tell us about Fisher and Riley? Well, Jeff Fisher, obviously, probably most famously known as the head coach of the Titans. Um, Super Bowl appearance. Super Bowl appearance. Remarkably 500 coach. That's how I know I it's think, so good and only 500. 
like Jeff Fisher, in my mind, is always the eight and eight coach. Always. No, I mean, and you might disprove me. His actual record might be slightly above or slightly below. But in my mind, my perception is he's always the average coach. I didn't think he was great. I didn't think he was terrible. He was just that middle of the road coach. Uh, good, nice guy, but just about, middle of the road. About 15 years, I think, with the Titans and then the season with the Rams. And I think the problem is, is he had some outstanding seasons. But he had a lot more losing seasons than outstanding seasons. And you know what? I was never a Steve McNair fan. Air McNair from a- Acorn or wherever he came from. Yeah, yeah. I-, I just have a belief of uh, uh, small uh, college players. They need time to develop, and they gave him time to develop. But he never uh, acclimated himself to the speed of the game, and he was never a stud QB. He was just an everyday, what I would call serviceable QB. Not the QB that would take you to the Super Bowl, but a QB that was part of the whole framework of a team going to the Super Bowl. Now, Mike Riley, I can jump in on Riley. He was a uh, one year, he was a head coach of the Chargers. He was just what you call your bland head coach. He was just there. Charged with the Chargers. Eventually, he was let go. I think he became a head coach for a while at Oregon State. He had a couple of stints there. Uh, but one guy who was never a head coach is Kirby Wilson, and he's the coach of the Pittsburgh Maulers. Had a long term in the NFL running back. I mean, he all the position type coaches. And uh, Bart Andrus, the Philadelphia Stars head coach, time with the Titans and Rams. But Riley and Fisher were head coaches from the North Division. Tell me about the South Division and Todd Haley. Well, Todd Haley is the most famous coach coming out of that, or the most well-known coach. He used to be the Chiefs head coach. Um, and Todd and, Haley, and what did he have the misfortune of? That's a good question. What did have, he have? Having Matt Castle as his QB. Oh, uh, yeah, Patriots. right. Okay, fair enough. He, he had the misfortune of uh, paying to get the uh, Patriots garbage to lead his team. But um, you know, I got garbage, but 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 not the QB they all thought he was. Right. Yeah. Like it's the typical thing. Like when they're backups, they all look good. They all look good when they're backups, but when you exactly. get them, it's rare. There's a reason they were backups on their original team to begin with. Um, but yeah, so like the, the USFL has got some veteran coaches in there that have had NFL coaching experience, some other guys coordinator experience. Um, but I don't think anyone's there for the coaching. You know, the, 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 the USFL also has some, some players. Well, hold on, John. They're not there for the coaching. But what's it say when its biggest names are the coaches? It says you're a new league. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Talk to me about uh, some of the, the quarterbacks. Uh, there's a first round 26th overall pick in the 2016 NFL draft. Paxton Lynch. That's right. One of the, he's in the famous John Elway thought they were as good as he was a club of quarterbacks that he's put on the Broncos at one point or another. But, but you know what though? I, I'm not a big fan of Elway. He had the, the and here's why. He brought Peyton Manning. He'll be remembered for that. But I'll be frank. Peyton Manning stunk. He was garbage the year they won the Super Bowl. The defense carried him. No yes. one doubts that. No one. But memories get foggy and they forget. And they, oh, Peyton Manning with the Broncos. No, he was garbage on there. In fact, it was to the point where Brock Osmeyer, what was his name? Osweiler. Osweiler. Brock Osweiler. Like, they didn't know who they should go with. And they went with Manning because he's older, better, and yada, yada, yada. Well, Manning had a good year the first season in Denver. 
Like, yeah, yeah, okay. He threw like 50 touchdowns that season, but was it that year? I don't. It was the year before. It was the year. It was the year before the Super Bowl. But I agree with you. The year, the Super yeah, the weird. The, the year he won the Super Bowl, he was he was horrible. He wasn't Peyton Manning at all. <laughs> I feel like a New York Jewish man when I say that. He was garbage. <laughs> garbage. <laughs> he was garbage. Is that, that going to get me in trouble politically speaking? Not with me. Well, people know I just just I have a lot of New Yorker relatives, so I love poking fun at my brethren over there. Isn't that funny? I mean, so do I. But you anyway. know, they have a lot of players that have NFL experience that nobody knows of. Wide receiver Jeff Batten spent years with Washington, Atlanta, and Vegas. Uh, Scooby Wright, great name, great name for marketing. Three NFL teams, you know, uh, John Franklin III, one of the main stars, uh, not of the NFL, but I guess he was a big star in the Netflix hit Last Chance You. And right. I remember seeing previews. I never watched it. I guess I'm just not into that type of stuff. I'm like, come and show me in the NFL. Then I'm too busy of a man to watch potential. You know, they don't pay me for that. Right. But there's a lot of other players that have experience, and we're not going to go through them because what I want to hit up before we move on are the ratings. You know, John, I'm not too familiar. Maybe you are, and I'm being serious here. It's kind of tough. It's that rating share that I get confused about. Can you explain that, or should we just move on from that? Uh, I'll do it very quickly. Um, and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter which one you use as long as you keep talking about the same one and you don't mix them up. Ratings is how many people watched out of every potential viewer. So, so a rating, for example, this tends to count um, individuals, right? Shares are the number of viewers divided by, so it's the number, it's the percentage of viewers out of all the people who actually watch TV in a given snapshot. So one is ratings is more aspirational, whereas share seems to be Think of it of the pie you baked. What was the share that watched your program? Whereas ratings are the people who watched out of anybody. So ratings count people who weren't watching TV, if that makes sense. Share. I don't know, John. I'm a Latino. At this point, I'm going to my half Japanese brother and having him interpret it for me, you know, with all the math. Oh, you know, those Asians are good at math. <laughs> yeah, my brother's gonna kill me, but no, I, we're kidding, people. We're kidding. I have family, I can do that, as my other brethren always say. I'm Latino, I can do that. Okay, let's do it this way then. In a nutshell, they aired the game on two networks, uh, uh Fox and NBC. Fox had 1.76 million. Oh, one of them had 1.76 million viewers, the other one had 1.31 viewers. So, so, so what's that? That's a close to 3 million viewers. Now, I kind of like broke this down a little bit. 2.95 million viewers. Uh, it did well against the, the playoffs. You know? Yeah. That, so, yeah. I don't yeah. think you can build a league off of 3 million at all, Big John. They're playing all their games in Birmingham. How do you build a fan base when your games aren't even in your city? Well, that's a big problem. I think a lot of it is going to be, if it succeeds at all, it's going to be all digital marketing. You know, it's going to be, who do you identify with? Because honestly, you're right. If you're not playing, if you're the New Jersey Generals, the only attachment you have to Jersey fans right now is, is the name. That's it. Right. 
uh, and that goes for every team in the USFL. Um, so I think their main purpose right now is to just maintain a profitable TV contract. That's what they're hoping for. Well, they're hoping how much is Fox backing them? $150 million, I think. Uh, I, I can't remember. I, I'm looking it up. Guys, yeah, $150 million. I've, I've seen $300, but that's a lot of cash flow to back it. But that said, and you're alluding, it's, 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 I just don't see how they can do it. Right now, they believe TV ratings and, and building it, like as you said, is more important than the attendance. I don't, I don't think you can do one without the other. I think that's one of those complementary pieces that yeah. must be done together. I, I agree. And it's counterintuitive. Like, has there, I, to my knowledge, there's, I don't think there's ever been a league where there was the concept of the home team just what, didn't exist. I know there have right. been parts of seasons due to financial reasons. Like, I think in the AFL, the, the, uh, funding. the, the Texans were, the, the, the Dallas Texans were homeless for a while. So they yeah. had to go to different stadiums. They, they really didn't have any home games. Yeah. Uh, during the pandemic, there were some teams that didn't have home games, right? Well, the XFL literally died because of the pandemic. But that's what you call the asterisk. You know, yeah. John, 40,000 tickets were sold or distributed for Saturday night, Saturday night's game. And that was the first night of it but yet only 17,500 fans showed up. Right. And the second day, uh, there was no number count, but you could you could barely see the fans. And some people believe, and I can't argue this, I don't know how true it is, but if you have an empty stadium and there's no roaring, I mean, there's that synergy with the us in, on, on the couch and, sure. and the, the hearing that the stadium roar oh, sure. you know, that gets energy, energy flowing. And well, that, that's the nuance of life, the nuance sure. of success. And it, it, I just don't, I don't, I think you need that. Disagree or agree? Oh, I agree with you. It's the same reason sitcoms uh, have canned laughter. You know, yeah, and you can tell when it's fake, it doesn't work. Yeah, but at the same time, if you hear silence because it's not filmed in front of an audience, you don't laugh at the jokes either. Yeah, I mean, no, that's done, right. They've done tests where they've played the same episode of a show with and without the laugh track. That's and the same jokes amount. get totally different reactions, right? The laughter prompts you to laugh, right? And the same thing with the crowd. If you hear a crowd cheering, you'll get into it. Or, or booing, you'll get into it. So yeah, this is going to be interesting. I so they they're going the TV route, and I also think the other thing they're doing, which I give them credit for, is they're trying to be different than the NFL with some rules changes. Right. Um, so for example, there's the concept of the three point try. So you've got a one, a two, and a three, uh, which means that as long as you're losing by single digits one score can tie the game potentially. So even if you're down nine, one score in a three-point try. Onside, onside kicks, uh, they, they're actually using the rule that the NFL experimented with two or three seasons ago, which is you could either try an onside kick with all the rules around it, or you could try going for a fourth and 12 from your own 33. So if you make it, you keep the ball. You don't make it, the other team gets it wherever the dead ball was, right? So that's some strategy, right? Do I go for an right, outside kick? Right. right. Uh, they're changing the punts a little bit. I think um, you know, like the uh, and the, and the kickoffs. So, Big John, what you're saying is they're they're, they're experimenting just as the XFL did. Uh, before right. I get your final comment, because 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 I'm going to ask you uh, what, what what your thoughts are on this overall. There is some controversy. 
the USFL Milers head coach, Kirby Wilson, you know, he was never a head coach in the NFL, but had a long distinguished career uh, as position coach. I mean, he was, he did every, every job. <laughs> he cut running back Devion Smith. It's about discipline. It's about focus. It's about understanding the role and what we're all trying to achieve. We all must be healthy. We must do right as a team. You will order the chicken salad for lunch. Everybody will. I guess Devion Smith didn't hear this rule or something. Doesn't like chicken salad and ordered a pizza. And what happened? He got caught. You just said he got caught. Yeah. Yeah. That's just nonsense. I don't know. There's so much of this. I don't understand. First of all, (laughs) there's much more to be gained by treating grown men like grown men. Right. If you're a head coach. The second thing is, if you really were concerned and wanted them to eat chicken salad, why didn't you just order chicken salad for them? Like the only thing that on the menu is chicken salad. Why I, would think, you... I think that may have been the case. And he, he got out. I, I did not look deeply yeah, into the story. It just sounds crazy so to me. Like, why would you? Yeah, that seems crazy. Like, I, I don't know. It seems but, but think cr- about it this way, John. Devion Smith, he's in his head thinking, and I guess he's a pretty good tailback. He's thinking, okay, I got my shot here. Maybe I can make a sizzle reel and get back in. Right. <laughs> now, when they think, well, what do you think Debbie has been? I don't know. What do you have for lunch? Pizza, chicken salad, you know? Yeah. I mean, the, we're joking about it, but in all seriousness, his dreams have been crushed. There now is no outlet for him unless he goes to the CFL maybe or something like that. His dreams have been crushed by a crazy coach is what it comes down to because, like, Listen, man, if it was repeated or something, I don't know, maybe. I, I, guy, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, John, if he had been going to a massage parlor with 20-some-odd women had demanding a happy ending or expecting one, I could see getting cut over that. Could I, you? Could see, I could see going with the guy for the 20 happy endings. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know about cutting. But, yeah, yeah. Where's your uh, wife at? <laughs> yeah, right. But listen, uh, like, I just think it's crazy. I, you're right. I, it just doesn't make anyone sound good, that story. You know, so, uh, yeah, I don't know what to say. I just think it's nuts. Final comment. Does the league survive or not? Not. Not. Do you think it's done in one, two, three years after the 150 million, after three years, it folds? Or do you think it could even fold before then? Um, it'll probably be fold before the three-year contract's up. Probably. I mean, I'd like to see it succeed. I think it should. We should. I think it'll it fold for the simple reason that most of these new startups, regardless of the league, they start out week one or two doing well, but then they tend to crater and plateau down. Yeah. And without having built a fan base, I, I, I will be. We'll, we'll talk about this again, and we'll likely be talking about how its ratings have gone from three million to. 800,000. But I will say this, maybe in general, one of the leagues that's showing up, XFL, AFL, USFL, uh, the the, uh, fan-controlled league, like if you put them all together, maybe one of them can shake out, you know, because honestly, competition, as a libertarian, competition brings out the best of everybody. You're right, John. It's unhealthy. It's unhealthy for the NFL to be the only game in town, literally. But, but so, see that, and that's just it, though. That's what makes it unique. This is not a similar situation where that belief works because for some reason they just have a lock. It's like MLB. If they try to have a professional league account, I just think 
We are so set with the NFL, MLB, NBA. It's literally that 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 that, that medieval castle that's impregnable and you're going to spend months upon months just trying to even you know scale the walls without success right if you have if you if every competitor league just tries to be the carbon copy of the main league in this case if 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 the u.s felt was trying to be just a carbon copy of the nfl just in the spring it would always fail you got to take the approach like the AFL did. I'm bringing something new to the table. You recognize it as football, but it's something different. The XFL did that. Remember Rod Smart, hot Rod Smart? Yeah, you know? he hate me. XFL. He hate me. That was yeah, he hate me. That's it. That's it. He hate me. You know, so I, I, I just... I want them to succeed and, 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 uh, for the one reason I want these players and coaches to be able to showcase themselves and move on to the next level. Again, why? Because I can see myself in that camp trying to over the NFL. Okay, let's move forward. John, this is kind of your segment. I requested this segment for the simple fact, my friend Jackie, God bless her soul, who I went to elementary school, then junior high, then she disappeared for many years and we rediscovered each other on Facebook. You know, and my wife knows about her, so we're good. Oh man, (laughs) there goes goes my blackmail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's just a friend. But But she tweeted to me, about why am I promoting Gilbert Gottfried with the rest in peace, uh, you know, rest in peace, because he passed away, yada, 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 because she said he supports pedophilia. And Jackie just did not know the story behind it. And, and, and I got aggravated because we are in such, uh, we are in a society of, we're just bombarded. People don't realize this, but when I started my company, the first thing I learned and, and, and realized through research and wanting to build a strong business was right. how people read on the internet. They don't read, they skim. So they don't read a whole story. They just read the bullet points, the headlines. Right. You know, it, it's why pol- politics can be so easily manipulated more than it could ever be in the past, which is a scary thing considering how it could be manipulated in the past. So that brings us to Gilbert Gottfried and something called the aristocrats, something that 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 is a familiar, not the phrase, but the, what it's about. You hear on every sailor <laughs> birthing. It's what Donald Trump kind of talked about right. that, that, that that he tried to the, the demonize him. Where every man goes, what are you talking about? We talk, that, that's how locker room talk is. Whether right or wrong, it's crass, it's mean, it's taboo. And I will let you take it away from there. And I'm just going to ask you questions now. Yeah, First yeah. of all, a little bit of details. Gilbert Godfrey, rest his soul. Tell me about his, his passing. And then from there, what are the aristocrats? Right. So Gilbert Godfrey, we, t- we went into it last week, uh, last episode, rather. Um, uh, he passed away at 67. He had that whiny, piercing Jewish, New York Jewish voice. Uh, he was a voice actor. He was a stand-up comedian. He also did some mainstream acting. Um, and for the record, that's how he was described as the whiny Jewish high Yes, so, yes. So nobody jump on Big John. Yeah, like maybe the mainstream wouldn't throw Jewish in there, but it was, you know, they'd say like the annoyingly boisterous, you know, unrecognizable uh, voice of, you know. Well, um, Godfrey would throw out the, the, the annoying Jewish voice. He would yeah, say. oh, yeah. And, and listen, Gilbert Godfrey had a great sense of humor about it. He would always refer to himself as an annoying Jew. He would always throw that in there, right? But um, anyway, so he died of a congenital condition, meaning it's something he was born with. Uh, it basically caused his heart 
to beat arrhythmically and eventually his heart gave up, gave out. He had a heart attack basically and he died at 67. Um, he was known in comedic circles as being, uh, I, I heard something by Bill Maher, not that I love Bill Maher, but he had a great comment. He said, Gilbert Godfrey was the king of too soon. That, oh, yeah, that yeah. every he never missed an opportunity to make a crass joke immediately after a tragic event. So after the tsunamis hit Japan, he famously made a joke about uh, the tsunami on Twitter. He got fired by Aflac. He was the voice of the duck. Aflac, right? He he was the voice of the duck. He was making. Why was he fired for making the tsunami joke yeah, but, but, but uh, when all those people died in Japan? Yeah. Um, Half-life so, business, 70 some odd yeah. percent of their business came from Japan. Crazy, okay. yeah. But he didn't care. Um, he always, um, on the Howard Stern show, he was famous for dropping the N-word during the news segment. He, he just did it constantly. And even Howard Stern would blush back in the day. Uh, but he thought it was hilarious. And part of his thought was a comedian's mindset, which was, the more I use these taboo words, the less power they have to inflict pain on people. So the N-word, referring to Jews outright. Like um, Richard Pryor used to do with the N-word. Richard Pryor used to do that with the N-word. A lot of today's comedians do that with the N-word. Uh, some women use it when they use the word bitch uh, to refer to themselves because, again, they're taking the same playbook. A lot of these uh, female comedians, especially the stand-ups, We'll use, we'll use bitch as a, I, I hate the phrase empowerment, but they use it to take away the power the word has that others can wield against you. So, right. so, so that's the concept behind it, which There's I agree. There's the reasoning for it. There's the reasoning for it. And, and honestly, I agree with it. I told you, I'm not a stand-up comedian, but I think I have a stand-up um, sensibility. That's your stand-up comedian. Yeah, to be, but I have their sensibility. So, so Gilbert was that type of guy. Um, people forget he had an encyclopedic mind for when it came to Hollywood, movies, TV. He could tell you who was a supporting player in a movie from 1940. If you listen to him doing his routines on Georgie Jessel, and I guarantee you don't know who Georgie Jessel is because no one does. Georgie De Jessel was a guy who did vaudeville back in the 30s in blackface. Wow. And he would do Georgie Jessel references and people would be, who's Georgie Jessel? And he was the guy who would be, mama, I'm on the phone, mama. You know, it was oh, like stupid, stupid crap like that, you know, yeah, yeah. but he made it hilarious. Like I said, if you go to the YouTube, there's tons of his podcasts, the Gilbert Gottfried Amazing Colossal Podcast. I can't hey. recommend it enough. Hilarious. John, um, what you're also, describing is yeah. a Gilbert Gottfried that seems to be two people. There was this persona, the voice of Aladdin, the Aflac duck. Right. Yeah, as, even his, I mean, SNL is tame compared to uh, sure. uh, uh, yeah. what, what you're talking about. So it seems like a split personality individual here. But now, what is the aristocrats? So the aristocrats is some, it's not, it wasn't invented by Gilbert Gottfried. Right. The aristocrats started in vaudeville in the 20s and 30s. Now, the aristocrats, keep in mind, this was never a public act. It was never done for audiences. It was done among comedians. Yeah. Um, and it was done. So think of it as two rappers doing the dozens with each other. 
right? Oh, that's like, right. People like, don't realize that. In, yeah. in the old days of rap, they were kind of rap at each other. Yeah, battle raps and stuff. Yeah. But for the most part, that wasn't done for audiences. It was done among rappers. It was sort of a, a way of uh, who's better or who's going to come out on top. Uh, so the aristocrat was this joke, and it's a very simple joke in terms of its complexity, right? It's set up uh, long storytelling and then the punchline. Now, the funny thing is the setup and the punchline are always the same. Oh, the setup is a man, his wife, and two kids go into a talent agent's office. That's always the setup. And the punchline is always, what do they call you? The aristocrats. Those are the two things that never change about the joke. Guys. Never change. But why is that? To show that they're uppity elite people, yet they've done all this crash talk? It, it's the opposite. It's that they're horrible, disgusting people who will do anything to be famous. What do you call yourselves? The aristocrats. the aristocrats. Now, Eric Idle said the joke doesn't work, ironically, in England, because in England, everybody knows that the dirtiest, most vile people on the planet are the, the aristocrats. So, so, so it doesn't, America's love of how we look at the queen, high society. Right, right. Gotcha. Eric gotcha. Idle, who is from Monty Python, Monty Python. famously said uh, in England, the joke works not when you use the aristocrats as the punchline, but when you use the sophisticates as okay, the punchline. That's right. Gosh, right? memories back. Yeah. So, so anyway, so that's the setup. Now, the key is the middle part. So typically it'll be uh, man, wife, two kids, and their family dog walks into a talent agent's office. Father says, hey, man, have we got a great act for you? I can't wait to do it. So the agent says, okay, show me what it is and I'll figure out if I can book you. And immediately, bum bum, that's when it starts. The father starts having sex with the mother. The mother starts having sex with the dog. The dog starts having sex with the baby. It's sex with everybody. There's, there's bodily functions. There's kids involved, bestiality, anything you could think of. And that's the whole purpose. That's the whole like purpose. That. Now and That's again, why he would do it. Right. Now, again, remember. And that this would include pedophilia, too. Pedophilia, right? bestiality, bestiality um, torture, taboo. torture, everything you could think of, because it was meant to be the worst thing you could come with. And that's for two reasons. The first is the, is the, um, is the uh, dichotomy, right? These people are doing the most horrible things you could think of. And at the same time, they're calling themselves the aristocrats. Yeah, that's exactly. part of the joke. The real thing is that comedians, again, never for the audience, the comedians would do it to see, the part of the rules were, how long could you make this joke last? Right. And how long could you go without repeating acts of depravity within the joke? Right. So for right. example, right. once you had the mother and the son doing incest, you couldn't repeat that again. If okay, you did, you lost, you. right? So it was, so it was uh, I, I forget how to explain it, but what you're saying is, that one's been done. Can't do it again. Right. Now go on. So think of something else. Out. Right. Think of something else. Now, there were some people that I heard of just hanging around comedians who were famous for this joke, among other comedians. One of them, believe it or not, was Bob Saget. Bob Saget, uh, who also passed away recently, right. was one of those guys who could talk for an hour, be filthy dirty, and not repeat himself. He was one of the practitioners of this who had really started to get legendary status. The other one was Gilbert Gottfried, except no one outside of the co comedy community knew about it. Where he broke it out and where it became famous, if you go on YouTube, you could see this. 
This is where the public found out about This is when the public, more of the public found out A, about the aristocrats and B, about the genius of Gilbert Gottfried. It was, it was right after 9-11, uh, there was a benefit uh, to, uh, you know, a charity benefit to raise money for the firefighters, the victims of 9-11 in New York. And of all people, Hugh Hefner decided that he would allow himself to be roasted at the front New York Friars Club. Which and they're famous. Which they're Everybody, famous for. I mean, yeah, California and New York, the Friars Club for people who are, who are young in the 60s, 70s, they were the bomb. Well, the Friars Club, going back, the Friars literally are, think of it as the private club of comedians. Right, right. Comedians I mean, yeah. could get in. Nothing. It's like a union. They only let right. each other in, right? Like Nothing was taboo. Nothing was taboo. And um, the old vaudeville guys were in there. So anyway, they're doing the roast. And it's very tense in New York. You have to understand, there were still people being dug out of the rubble when they did this. There was still the smoke over Lower Manhattan. There were still buildings on fire when this thing was going on. Wasn't it eighteen about eighteen days, three weeks? Uh, I don't remember six, the exact six? time, but it, it, people were still grieving. Nobody yeah. knew if you could laugh or not. And, and it's I can't overstate this enough. Having lived through it, like you didn't know what you were supposed to laugh at. You didn't know what was funny. You didn't know what was right. appropriate. So at this thing, there were all these other comedians on the stage. Jimmy Kimmel. Um, uh, 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 Dick Gregory, I think, was there. Um, there was uh, 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 Adam Carolla was there. Sarah Silverman. So it was, you know, it was a lot of big name comedians. A there. lot of big beam comedians. Yeah, Rob man. Schneider famously because he yeah, kept laughing. You know what? You're saying these comedians, and not. I mean, it's like it's like the minor league team when you think of great comedians like Carlin prior well they weren't know. around that was the whole point because not a lot of people could fly so no, 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 no. Of, uh, i'm just saying how much comedy has fallen <laughs> well maybe that but also i think it was just logistics like if they weren't in new york to begin with odds are they weren't going to fly to new york true true, true. so um <laughs> so, so anyway so gilbert gets on and the crowd is still tense and he gets up at the podium and he makes this he makes this joke he goes i hope you people don't mind but I'm, I can't stay too long because I have to catch a flight to California very soon. Uh, I, I have to make connecting flights at the Empire State Building. <laughs> silence throughout the crowd. Just silence. You could hear a pin drop and then within a few seconds, you could hear the boos. Boo, boo. Some people holler too soon. Yes, and then you could hear one guy in particular somewhere in the depths go, too soon. <laughs> And you could see people didn't know what to make of it. And in the split second, you could see Gilbert, who never was afraid to say anything. All of a sudden, he's calculating in his head. You could see him. He's, he's nervous. He's always a nervous guy. He was always fidgety. Would you say this is the intellectual genius you're referring to at yes. this moment? This moment, he decided, and there was a documentary where the I have to give credit to the writer from The New Yorker. He's the one who actually formulated this thought was... In that moment, Gilbert didn't know what to do. So what did he do when, like most of us, when we're uncertain? We go back to what we know. We go back right. to what we trust. So in his mind, very quickly, he's like, I'm at the Fire Friars Club. All these comedians up on the dais are my friends. Let's play a game of the aristocrats. So you could see at one point he was like sweaty and everything. And then he just looked up and he literally went like this. Okay. There's this family, 
And they walk into a talent agent's office. And as he starts this, um, I think uh, Bill Maher said it last a couple of nights ago on uh, Jimmy Kimmel's show. He said the first six minutes of that joke, the crowd still hadn't gotten over to Gilbert's site. They were like, they're still in shock. Because now they're hearing about incest and pedophilia and bestiality. <laughs> and they're like, what the hell is going on here? Because remember, most of that crowd did not know anything about the aristocrats joke. The people who were dying laughing were on the stage. The other comedians, as soon as he said, this family walks into a talent agent's office. If you watch the video of that, you can see the other comedians. Half of them are going, oh no, he's not going to do the aristocrats, is he? <laughs> the other half, you could see them start to giggle because they're like, oh yeah, he's going to do the aristocrats because we know Gilbert. He's that type of mentality. Oh, he had to save himself too. I mean, that joke. Well, yeah, that, that I mean, first joke. I don't want to bomb. say that people hate him oh. or bomb, but it fell yeah. as flat as, yeah. as flatter than what people thought the as, earth was. As Patrice O'Neill said, that bomb was worse than somebody strapping one to their back in Palestine and running through <laughs> Israel. Or something and that's like a that. Patrice joke. Yeah. That was a Patrice joke. But anyway, by the time he got done with his rendition of the aristocrats, which by the way, I think lasted between 12 and 15 minutes. He just kept it going and going and going. Um, there were comedians on the days who had fallen on the floor from all the laughter with tears wow. running down their eyes. They were see, laughing so hard. I just and, don't find that funny though. But no, I but here's the people do. But here's the funny thing. They weren't laughing because of the joke. The joke itself was irrelevant. Yeah. It was how long, Jeffrey Ross said this, to us, the, the, the thing we were laughing about was how long could he keep this going with an audience that has clearly never heard this before, probably entirely revolted at the, con at the content. How long could he keep it going? And that was the genius, that in that moment, he pulled something out of his butt to save himself and in, in doing so, save the audience because... Right. The, the laugh that came out of that was so cathartic. Everyone in the room afterwards said, we needed that. We needed to laugh at something so crazy and stupid because of what was going on in New York at the time that they all thanked them afterwards. And to this day, if you take a poll of comedians, what is the greatest telling of any joke on the planet? Gilbert Gottfried's rendition of the aristocrats at that Friars roast is considered probably the best telling of any single joke ever. That it, it was just amazing. And you know what, John? I mean, we'll, uh, we'll forget he was an Affleck voice. We'll forget about Aladdin. I, I forgot about Aladdin already. But at the end of the day, he was not a top tier comedian per se, like no. some of the others. But he, it's kind of like you and I. We're pioneers of fantasy sports. People may not know us, but we cemented our lore in history. Legacy, our legacy. Nobody, yeah, legacy. Nobody can take that away from us. And in that moment, I believe Gilbert Gottfried cemented his legacy in the comedic world because yes. 60 years from now, 100 years from now, that tale will, it, it, it's a footnote in history and he'll never be forgotten. And God bless his soul. My final question to you before we close out the show, can the aristocrats be pulled off today without being canceled? I mean, without the person who pulls it off being canceled, if it happens in public versus comedy yeah. circles? Um, I think so, but only for one reason. Because of Gilbert. Because I think- Well, that's Gil Gilbert. Can no, no, but I'm saying because Gilbert did it, 
okay. And because, because now it's understood to be what it is, like your friend Jackie is probably a, one of a few that took him seriously. Like, I don't know anyone who ever took Gilbert Gottfried seriously. There are people who have been upset at him because they made, because he made funny of something that offended them personally. Um, but if someone says I'm doing my version of the aristocrats right now, no one's going to say, oh my God, there'll be people who walk out. There'll be people who boo, but cancel, I mean, but cancel? I, I don't think so. I want to believe you. I mean, just to give you the example tonight, the reason I said, man, John, I'm asking my half Asian brother, I said it as half a joke, but he's like, uh, 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 10 times smarter than me. So I'm like, yeah, hey, bro, explain that to me. But yeah, people take everything so differently nowadays. Or, or like I had to explain, all right, audience, John's not picking on Jews here. That's how Godfrey would describe himself as right, well. Right. Um, it's, it's a shame that it has to come to that. Uh, and to be honest with you, I think I told you once when you asked me, like, John, why do you sometimes use such horrible language or why are you so, you know, whatever? It's precisely of that reason, because I'm at the age where I can own the platform I speak on like we are now. Um, I'd rather remind people that it's always better to have too much free speech than too little. And you I'm do working... know you're destroying my political career, though. <laughs> yeah. Hey, no one forced you to be on the show. But uh, <laughs> but here but literally to me, there's no such thing as too much free speech. The more, the better, the fewer restrictions, the better. Um, your friend Jackie, I'm not belittling her if she actually thought this was a pedophile, if Gilbert was a pedophile. She's, she's wrong, obviously. Um, I mean, he's got two or three kids that, that survive him. And anyone you talk to will say in real life, there was no Gilbert character. Yeah. Gilbert Gottfried was one of the quietest, gentlest people, wouldn't hurt a mouse, adored his family. Uh, his wife is like 15 years younger than him, but Ooh, Robin the Cradle. He had a couple kids too. And, and she was devoted to him, devoted to him, and his children Good devoted to him, and he was devoted to them. Uh, the only thing I'll throw in legendary cheapskate. Oh, was he? Everyone says, like, I'm staying away from that. He never <laughs> Oh, no, I'll say it for you. He, Gilbert would say, He goes, Well, I got to live up to being a Jew. Uh, right because that was his punchline right so it, what i'm saying is he i could see where people get offended by him um and they might say i don't want to listen to him that's cool but to have people say he can't we can't play his jokes because he 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 uses this language to me is horrible and by the way it goes to any comedian uh, you know it's funny you say that because uh Eventually, I learned how to dance. I mean, the, let's be honest, to pick up a chick, I'm like, I got to learn how to dance again on that nightclub floor. But I remember at the prom, I remember my friend, dude, what the hell's the matter with you? You're the only freaking Puerto Rican I know with two left feet. You know, I guess technically today, that should offend me, huh? But yeah, to your yeah. point, it's, it's like we laughed, you know? It's it's we just live in a world that, yeah. that, that, that that's aggravating scary and, and disgusting to me that's true disgust yeah, is when look, somebody plays the soapbox morality from behind their computer without looking in the mirror you, you know or it, it, it's sickening you know so john we've actually run over time it's this was a great show i think uh i have actually been doing a lot of research for future topics but i want to 
plead our case to the audience. Look, we're starting out. We don't have a lot of viewers. So those of you viewing us, thank you. But make sure you share. You share the, 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 the our podcast because we're growing. I mean, I'm proud to say I took my previous company from nothing. People told us you're not going to succeed. You can't do what you're doing at your pace. And I'm like, yeah, watch. And we're saying the same thing here, but we do need your help. And we got some great, exciting topics coming up ahead. We're going to talk about Herschel Walker's political run. We're going to talk about cities in California just making crap up to be able to tax the streaming companies like Netflix and Hulu. Oscar De La Hoya talking about Jake Paul can be a boxing champion. The great white hope or the great white joke. Tony Dungy being, being thrown under the bus just because he believes in fathers. You know, uh, Royce White, former NBA player running for Congress. And John, we got others, Daniel Snyder. But one that I know you'll appreciate, we're going to talk about free speech. That's what we've got lined up for the next three shows. We are a blend of politics, sports, and I'm no longer saying pop culture. I'm saying culture. Politics, sports, and culture. That is what we are talking about. And if we can't laugh at ourselves, or if I can't laugh at you, damn it, then why are we here? Final words, Big John. I can't top that. Although I would add sports, politics, culture, and sexy. <laughs> Ladies, we know you want him. But you got to stand in line. He's married. And with that, we bid you good night and a special good night to my friend Jackie. Y'all take care. Peace out, y'all.